The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good morning, everyone. Um, it was nice to have a chance to see all these beautiful faces, uh, so many familiar friends from years of Dharma practice, and especially uh, some new faces as well. My name is Fugan, and I'm speaking to you today from Hyannis Zendo on Cape Cod. And today's talk is about impermanence, um, about how we manifest and express uh, this central element in our lives. And during this time of year, uh, the fall here in the Northeast of the US, uh, impermanence feels especially vivid, right? Changes uh, on dramatic display. And for all of us, impermanence may seem really clear uh, at certain times when we lose people, when we notice changes in our bodies, uh, when we get sick and we feel our cells um, declining, failing. But the pervasive impermanence at the heart of our teaching goes beyond this. All things are subject to change, said the Buddha. And this is difficult. Uh, and our misunderstandings around the nature of impermanence lead to a great deal of our suffering. So in his fascicle on Buddha nature, Dogen says, permanence means no turning. Permanence means no turning, right? Being stuck. Impermanence itself, writes Dogen, is Buddha nature. Impermanence itself is Buddha nature. Everyone and everything is impermanence. Or maybe better yet, we can say impermanence manifests as everyone and everything. But even that's kind of vague. Uh, you know, the wordplay is helpful. The idea of impermanence nevertheless feels solid in this. At least to me, it feels kind of permanent. When I hear everything is impermanent, or even when I hear impermanence is Buddha nature, I say, oh yeah, I get that. Right? I can understand that. It makes sense. This idea I can hold on to, and it becomes a fixed reference. You know, Dogen in his uh, unique way writes, impermanence expounds practices and realizes impermanence. Impermanence expounds practices and realizes impermanence. Right? There's no separation, no one to practice outside of this flow. And so in this talk, I want to focus on a metaphor um, in our teaching that's been helpful to me uh, when working with change. And it's, it's the metaphor of the wind, the Dharma wind the Buddha wind or the golden wind. And I've been thinking of wind in part because it's hurricane season. 
and these devastating storms, right, um, amped up and fueled by climate change have been so much a part of our lives, uh, especially in the Caribbean, um, in Florida. And I'm talking to you from Cape Cod, which uh, is a thin strip of sand jutting out into the ocean. And people out here are pretty aware of wind and storms. And about a, a week ago, uh, I was out on a beach on the uh, bay side of the Cape, and it was a really windy day, and the sand was blowing horizontally into your face, and the ocean was uh, in huge upheaval. And a poem by Ryokan came to mind, Sky Above Great Wind. And this poem was composed for a child. A child came to Ryokan with a sheet of paper and asked him to write something on it. And Ryokan asked the child, what, what are you planning to do with this paper? And the child said, I'm going to make a kite and fly it. Please write some words on it to call the wind. And right away, Ryokan wrote four characters on the paper, sky above, great wind, and he gave it to the child. And according to Kaz Tanahashi, who translated a book of Ryokan's poems called Sky Above Great Wind, in this calligraphy, Ryokan sorry, Ryokan went far beyond skills, revealing himself completely off guard. Right? We see the vast freedom in his childlike brushstrokes, which demonstrate Ryokan was a child when he was with children. And the great wind here is the Dharma wind that circulates everywhere. It's what allows Ryokan to be childlike and reveal himself fully in that moment. And it was in response to this Dharma wind that Ryokan could connect directly with this child and with the children he cherished throughout his wandering life. And we know about Ryokan uh, who lived from the mid 18th through the third first third of the 19th century, we know him as a, as a beggar, as a wandering monk. It really is a rebel um, who walked away from the institutionalized Zen of his time. And in this keen, keen-eyed poetry, uh, Ryokan shares the freedom of his understanding through expressions of the intimate activity of his everyday life his great joy, um, his humor, and also this loneliness and sadness and his love. This is all on vivid display in his poetry and in, in his life, which is a demonstration of his Zen functioning. Right? So in sky above, great wind, this wind is the Dharma wind. And it's also wind that's flying a child's kite. And somehow until about a week ago, I never considered the kite uh, in this haiku. And maybe it's the kite's viewpoint, um, this kite being lofted by the wind, the sky above great wind that Ryokan is offering us. 
Yeah, and when we hear the poem, the kite's not mentioned, but it is, per, it is part of this flow. When we chant the identity of relative and absolute, we say, uh, when you walk the way, it is not near, it is not far. We, we, we uh, do not see it even as we walk on it. Right? We don't even see the kite in this equation. Or maybe the haiku is Ryokan simply connecting with this child who's right in front of him, a child who wants to fly a kite. And Ryokan wonderfully does this by manifesting the Dharma wind as a poem about the wind. So wind moves, that's really its nature. It's alive uh, in this moment always flowing, it's never static. And the Dharma wind is perhaps this reality of our lives, changing and unfolding, right? If we're stuck, if we can't uh, flow with it, we don't feel it. We don't experience the truth of our lives. When we're bound by our ideas, we miss it. And because this, uh, maybe this kite in the poem is, is pointed out to me recently that this Dharma wind is always about relationship, right? In this case, to the kite, to the sky, the child, to Ryokan, to me and you. When the wind meets trees, the tree moves, the branches blow. When wind meets the grass, the grass bends. On the beach, the wind blows the sand and the ocean. So once when Mayu, Zen master Bauchi, was fanning himself, a monk said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent, and there's no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? Although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, Mayu replied, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. What is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? Asked the monk. And Mayu just kept fanning himself. Here Mayu is showing the meaning of wind in function and relationship, fanning himself, flying us as a kite. The wind is moving us in interaction, in this intimacy. This is where our Dharma manifests. And because of that, writes Dogen, the wind of the Buddha house brings forth the gold of the earth and ripens the cream of the long river. And there's a koan that I'd like to uh, briefly touch on here that tends to show up for me at this time of year. And this is Yun Man's body exposed golden wind. And it goes like this. A monk asked Yun Man, how is it when the tree withers and the leaves fall? Yun Man replies, body exposed in the golden wind. So out here we have this uh, beautiful grove of trees behind the Zendo, and they're just starting to change colors. And we've been watching leaves drop away. 
uh, for the past few weeks. And there's been this uh, rapid increase as the weather is changing here. And in New England, of course, we see these vibrant displays of color in the fall. On the Cape, it's a little more subtle, uh, maybe because the soil is so sandy. But when we look closely, we can see this beauty, this uniqueness in each and every leaf. The shapes and designs, the webbing in them, uh, we see that each leaf appears in the perfect place to catch the sunlight. And it's all miraculous. And each time a leaf lets go and drops down, it's also a unique expression. And leaves, of course, are the engine of photosynthesis, right? They absorb the sunlight and the CO2 and they create energy and growth for the tree. They release oxygen that supports the environment. Robin Wall Kimmerer, the ecologist, writer, uh, healer, and member of the Potawatomi Nation came up with the Potawatomi word, a root word to use as a pronoun to describe leaves. And she also uses this to describe plants and animals that we usually talk about as it. And her pronoun is, is ki, K-I, uh, from a term in Potawatomi meaning being of the earth. So instead of calling and thinking of leaves as it or they, we can say ki or kin is the plural, as in our kin are drifting down so gently today. And this, this kind of change in language uh, brings us closer to the world around us, reveals something about this world in motion. These leaves drop away, these beings are being transformed. Observing it, we might regret the loss of summer, regret changes happening. And maybe that's what the monk is bringing up in the koan. Right? How is it when autumn comes, when we lose things, when we lose people we love, when we're face to face with death? You know, or perhaps as uh, one of our Sangha members said yesterday, the dropping leaves are us letting go of what's done. Right? This leaf has served as a leaf. Key now floats down. Right, to begin again as compost and soil in this wonderful ecosystem. Wal Kimmerer notes that the leaf uh, becoming tattered and letting go is when this leaf is releasing its oxygen, right? just as the new leaves in the spring will gather and create more. And she writes, the young and old are linked in one long breath, an inhalation that calls for reciprocal exhalation, nourishing the common root from which they both arose. New leaf to old, old to new, mother to daughter, mutuality endures. And each breath of the tree, in each breath we take, this mutuality endures. 
Or as Dogen writes, even a fallen leaf when taken up and turned by Buddha ancestors is the Buddha Dharma wheel, right? turning new to old, old to new. And turning the monk towards this movement of impermanence, Yunmen calls up the golden wind. And like Ryokan and Mayu fanning himself, Yunmen focuses on our relationship to that movement, to that golden wind, to the Dharma, body exposed in the golden wind. Right? This body right now, your body and my body, is the Dharma body revealed by our interaction with the moment right here and now in this reality. And so while there may be no limit to the pure wind circling the earth, the unblemished reality of the Dharma world, this Dharma wind needs to activate in the world and it does, through, does so through us when we expose ourselves completely to this moment, to this wind blowing. And this may look like bearing witness to the tragedy of the war in Ukraine, bearing witness to the beauty of these fall colors in the grove out back. Being blown by the Dharma wind allows us to respond to this moment with compassion, with action. Right? Clear skies, a sea breeze, and the hurricane are both expressions of this wind of reality. And how does it blow in us in this moment? So I'll finish with another short poem by Rio Khan. If someone asks about the mind of this monk, Say it is no more than a passage of wind in the vast sky. If someone asks about the mind of this monk, say it is no more than a passage of wind in the vast sky. <laughs> 